marvelously glorified. I was watching a movie with Marvel characters. You know, those ones that can do these supernatural things. Ant-Man. Ant-Man, Wasp-Woman, I think. Superman. The guy that, um, when he gets mad, he grows claws on the end of his hands. Was that Wolfman? Wolverine. And I thought, as I listen to these Marvel characters, they don't really compare to our marvelous Savior and the body that He's going to have, has now, and will give us. When you look in the Scripture, you can prove that very point. Because it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I think you could just as easily put sons and daughters of God. And it doth not yet appear what it shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The truth of God's words usually multiplied so that we can't miss it. Anytime God says something twice, He wants us to get the point. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it says, For if we be planted together in the likeness of His death, we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. And the truth is, we need a new body. This one's wearing out. I talked to some folks, I I thought I was old. But there are some folks here who are older than that, older than me. And uh, in their 80s, and one guy I was talking to, one uh, gentleman, 87 years old, still going to go to work tomorrow. His friend, 80 years old, has a, a business that he, um, he does um, landscaping and all kinds of things like that. And I thought, hmm, that's really something. Because the Bible seems to indicate that we're just not going to live forever. There's an end to this. And I believe that I have lived more days than I have left to live. So I really like to know what's going to happen in the future. As I'm sure some of you who are as old as me or older would like to know. Well... We need a new body. That can be absolutely clarified. Our body is corrupted by sin. We're we're sinners. What can I say? We've all done it. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's no way around it. We're uh, professional sinners, I should say. We do it for a living until God captivates our minds and hearts And I said our bodies are wearing out. The scripture here says this. The days of our lives are years three score and ten. And if by reason of their strength they be four score years, yet is their strength and labor and sorrow. For it shall soon be cut off and we shall fly away. 
It's where they get the song, fly away into glory, we hope. And so I, I was reading about um, King David. He, um, he was 33 years king of Israel, seven years he was king in Hebron. So 40 years he was king. He became king at 30 years of age. According to the scripture, David died at 70 years of age. And here's what it says about him. He died at a good old age. One of the um, translations I read said he died at a ripe old age. So uh, when you've lived 70, as I have, plus, and some of you in your late 70s, 80s, do, I, do we have anyone in the 90s this morning? Here's some, here's some 90s right here. The doctor. Praise the Lord. There was another hand back there. Where's that? Oh, right there. You're still. Look at that. Praise the Lord. I was sharing with the uh, congregation that my mother lived to be 92, and I was telling her one day, I'm so glad that you've lived so long because probably I'm going to live that long too. And she says it skips a generation. (laughs) Both my granddads died at 68 years of age. So I'm living on borrowed time right now. You want to make every second count for the Lord, I believe. Our senses are diminishing. How many of you wear glasses? I can see them right now. Yeah, mine too. I didn't always wear glasses. How many of you have hearing aids? Luck, luck right now. Here's how I go. Because if I wear hearing aids, I'd lose them during the course of the day. So I just, um, there's some things not worth hearing. <laughs> anyway, um, you've got um, sight, you've got hearing, it diminishes. And uh, then touching. But what I've noticed is when I get up in the morning, I don't even know how this happens, my fingers are locked in one position. Does that ever happen to anybody? You try to open up your fingers and you have to have the other hand help you. And I have a little trouble on stairs and so on because my toes are numb. What is that about? You begin to lose that sense of touch. And then I can only smell bad things. Can't smell anything. Can't smell a flower. Can't smell deodorant. My wife says I should wear it, though. And the one that kind of You know, it seems to indicate when you begin to lose one sense, then another sense will begin to tweak, get better. Well, the sense that's better for me is taste. What is that all about? Can you tell? We all have the body Adam gave us. And in Adam, it says we all die. So there's no escape from this. It's going to happen to every one of us. 
unless by some miracle we should be alive when the Lord comes back for us, then some will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. But for the rest of us, probably everybody here will experience death. So what's it going to be like after that? What was it like after the Lord resurrected? That's what we want to look at this morning. The glorified body of Christ now becomes death-proof. And the Bible says this, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So isn't it nice to know, after you're resurrected, that's the end of dying. You die once, you live twice when you're a child of God. And that second life is endless. Thank the Lord for that because we certainly want to be as much like Him as we can be. The second thing you can see in the life of Christ is that He had the power to walk through solid objects. It's pretty clear that the stone they rolled in front of the tomb was heavy enough. It took several men to roll it into place, and then they sealed it. Mary's problem was when she went to the grave is, who was going to help her roll the stone away? When she got there, the stone had already been rolled away But long before that, Jesus had resurrected. It means he walked through the stone. The only reason it was rolled away is so that people could look in and see that it was empty. Jesus was outside the house where the disciples were hiding for fear. It says in the Bible that the doors were all locked. I just threw in windows, no windows to get through. They were hiding because they had great fear that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. The doors were shut, John chapter 20, verse 19. And suddenly Jesus appeared and stood in the midst of them. One translation says the disciples were shocked, to say the least, because there was Jesus. In the Bible, it says He is the door that He can open and no one can shut. And He can shut and no one can open. And that's the miraculous ability of our Lord to... Walk through solid objects. I don't know how he did that. The Bible said he was flesh and bone. It's not possible, humanly speaking, for that to occur. But somehow, the glorified body can transport itself through a solid object. Jesus, in his glorified body, could appear suddenly and then suddenly disappear. As was the case with Mary. He, she's looking all over the place for Jesus, and she thinks he's, she's talking to the gardener, but there's Jesus right there with her. Jesus said to her in John chapter 17, 
Touch me not, for I am yet to ascend to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. That passage has a lot of questions you could ask. Why would Jesus say, don't touch me? And where was he going? To his Father? How could that be? His Father is in heaven. He's on earth. Why would he go to his Father? Well, I believe Jesus is the new high priest. You're never going to need a pastor, a pope, or anyone else to be mediator between you and God. It's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. And He is our high priest. He's the one who makes intercession for us. He's at the right hand of God. I think after Jesus' resurrection, He went to heaven on our behalf. And this is kind of shown in the Old Testament when the high priest would go into uh, the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, no one could touch him. He went in and offered a sacrifice for all of Israel. And it was there on the mercy seat with cherubims on each side that he went when no one else could ever enter that place. I think that's what Jesus did for us. And there was more. In 1 Peter 3.19, it says Jesus went after He died and He preached unto the spirits in prison. This is a little hard to understand, except that paradise used to be down here in the earth. And in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we see the picture of paradise being Abraham's bosom. And hell was just a short distance away. The Bible says a gulf separated them. I believe Jesus went to that paradise in the earth and declared who he was and what he was going to do. And in Ephesians it says, He took captivity captive when he ascended on high. And he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is he also that descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. I believe what Jesus did as a high priest was change the location of paradise from down here under the earth to heaven where it is currently now. Our Lord and Savior paved the way for us to go to heaven when we die. Otherwise, we'd be going down. Now we're going up. The proof of that was a passage of Scripture in Matthew 27:53. The body of those in graves were opened. And many of those saints which slept, the Bible says, 
came out of their graves after Jesus' resurrection, they walked into the holy city and they appeared to many. This is is happening uh, simultaneously with the resurrection of Jesus. Other people resurrected too. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He took those with him when he went to paradise. Remember, he said to the thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He meant what he was saying. And so he took all of those who were in captivity with him. And paradise now is in the third heaven. Jesus in his miraculously glorified body travels with the speed of thought. There's evidence of this when two of the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is about an eight-mile walk between Jerusalem and that city. And they were talking about all the events that had occurred that were so confusing and so hard for them to understand. And suddenly Jesus is walking with them and talking to them. They don't recognize it to be Jesus, but before he's done talking, he's explaining passages in the Old Testament about himself to them. They were so impressed with what they had heard that they said, come on and eat with us. Come on, have supper with us. They got him into the room and he began to explain in even more detail things he said they should have known. And when he said those words, their eyes were open and they knew that it was Jesus. And the Bible says this, He disappeared, vanished before their eyes. That's the attribute of a glorified body. Travel and space and time are no longer important. It's where you think God wants you to be that you are. Instantly. That's how Jesus could travel to His Father in heaven and back in just a few moments. That's how angels travel back and forth from heaven. They don't need a spaceship, and they never will. And no, you won't either. Because whenever you're to return from heaven, or whether it be the new Jerusalem that we will dwell in, we will be where God wants us to be instantly. So you can throw away the keys to your electric car. You don't need that. God is a miraculous God. Well, this is one of my favorite glorified bodies like Jesus had will have the ability to eat. I like to eat. And so do you. Probably you're wondering how soon you'll be able to eat. Well, in Jesus' uh, day, they had gathered, according to Luke 24, they were looking at Jesus and just still confused, but he wanted to make sure they understood that he was in a body that was real. And so he said to them, Have you any meat? And so they 
gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb, and he took it and he did eat before them. Now, there are a lot of questions about this that people would ask if they thought a little bit. When you eat as a human, something happens. It goes through your digestive system, and Jesus says it comes out somewhere. I don't know that that's the case with a glorified body. Wouldn't it be great if there are no sewage places in heaven? Doesn't that like it seem like it's part of the curse? So whatever happens in this body, I believe it will be different than the body that we have now. Notice when Jesus says, I'm flesh and bone, touch me, feel me. He doesn't say flesh and blood. Flesh and bone, something else empowers the glorified body. And I think that can only be a good thing. So if it's flesh and bone, that means in heaven we're going to be able to hug each other. I can picture walking with my wife and um, holding her hand and strolling down the streets of heaven and talking to Jesus right with us. And I've got a few questions for the patriarchs. And then I meet my family the family of God, everybody that I know, and perhaps personally even help them realize how much they needed Christ. We're all there gathered together as a family, and we're loving each other and loving Jesus. Isn't that the picture of heaven? It's not some uh, ghostly thing where you try to hug somebody and your arms go through them. Here's a real person, a glorified person. Somebody that you knew on earth. Somebody that... um, I uh, sent a picture to Roger of my wife and I when we were married. And if he put it on the screen, you'd probably say, who could that be? Because we've we've changed. And... um, I'm glad to say I think we'll change back. How old was Jesus when he came back? 33. In his prime, we're going to be like him. Now just imagine this in your genealogy. You take away everything that was part of the curse. And even then, if you look good, you're going to look a lot better. God is going to do it. There is one distinct difference between the glorified body of Christ and ours. His body is the only one in heaven that will have scars in his hands, in his feet, in his side. Those scars are permanent marks in his body in heaven. The proof of that is a passage found in Zechariah. And in Zechariah, it makes it clear 
Some will come to Jesus and they will say, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then, Zechariah 13:6, he shall answer, Those of which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So that difference is real. And it's because of those wounds, those stripes, all the things that happened to him on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that we have salvation by believing on him. That's really all you have to do. You admit that you're a sinner. Is that so hard to do? I mean, I started sinning when I was just a little boy. I was probably five or six years old. I remember going into Reuben's department store. There were little jiggers hanging on the end of the zippers on coats that looked like they would fit in the bubble gum machine. So I grabbed a bunch of them. And I went over to the bubble gum machine and got one stuck in there because it didn't work. I still had a handful of them. And Mr. Reuben was watching me. He grabbed me by the cuff of the neck and said, Where are your parents? Took me over to my dad and this boy has taken something from this store and he may have ruined this machine. And my dad looked at me and it's one of those looks, you know, you're going to get it. And I did get it, but not before I was made to put all of the little doodads back on the zippers of the jackets and go over and try to get out. Mr. Reuben brought a screwdriver and he pried that out. Then he said to me, if you ever do that again, I'll call the police. That was a good lesson for me to learn. But at that very early age, I was a thief. If I could have gotten it out of my lying, I would have lied. That was just the beginning of my problems. But thank the Lord you can admit that. And when you admit it, God can save you. Because the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. God loves us while we're yet in sin, the Bible says. And all we really have to do is confess that before God. Believe that He loves us. That Christ died for us. That He resurrected on the third day. That He did this for us. That we can be saved by the shedding of His blood. If we're willing to do that, we can be saved. And you can have the glorified body that Jesus had at His resurrection. If there's anybody here today that's never done that, I'd certainly like to give you the opportunity. Let's all stand. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. We ask Your blessing, Lord. We know that many people here have already received You as Lord and Savior. But there's also many that have not, our friends, people who are not here today, that we know, that may only hear the gospel through our lives and through the words that we speak to them. And so, Lord, for those who are here who may not know if they died, they'd go to heaven. We are praying a simple prayer with them today. Dear Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me, Lord. I believe in Your Son. 
I don't know all about it, but I do know, Lord, that he died. And your word says he died for me. I put my trust in him as Lord and Savior. And so forgive me and come and live within my heart. So, Heavenly Father, it's a simple prayer, but it works every time. And we believe you today, Lord. So will you bless those who have come to church today? They could have been a lot of other places, but they're here to worship you and to hear your word. Put your blessing on them all week long. And we give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Would you tell Pastor Steve you appreciate him and love him? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Good job. Good job.